Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you this morning. Thank you for being here to worship with us at the Vista. Um, we are in the second week of our series entitled This is Water. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. You, you might be wondering why there is a trough set up over here. Normally, you know, if we're going to do baptism on a Sunday, we do it during the worship part of the service. And uh, you didn't miss it. We did not have baptism this morning. We are having that this evening, right? So at 5 o'clock, we're having a worship night. Jordan and the band are going to lead us in worship in the evening. And then uh, we have some that have given their lives to Jesus. And we are welcoming, welcoming them into God's family through baptism this evening. Hope that you'll make it back at 5 o'clock to celebrate with us. Now, uh, I know there's a, a certain playoff game going on. I know that the Cowboys are playing tonight, uh, this, late this afternoon as well. Um, they didn't call us and ask when they should schedule the game. So there's a bit of a conflict here. And I know the Cowboys aren't in the playoffs very often. Sorry, it's just the reality. Uh, but DVR is your friend, okay? We will not be uh, posting the score on the big screen. We're not going to... I did have, I think Nick, uh, our community pastor, like was rather subtle in his suggestion that we do maybe picture in picture up here so people could watch. We're not going to do that either. Could be a little distracting. Um, but just know, yes, we, we get it. There's a, there's a game going on. But again, DVR at Technology is great. Come and worship with us tonight and help welcome some people into God's family. Uh, that's at 5 o'clock this evening here at the Vista. We'd love to have you. Um, second week of our series, This is Water. Uh, Austin did a great job last week sort of launching us into the series. Um, really the basis and what we're talking about throughout much of the series are just some things that we are all immersed in, right? Um, just like our friends over here, the little fish. Uh, you can't talk to the fish about water. It's hard to talk to a fish about water. You've probably heard the expression because that's all they know. That is, that, is, that is their life. That is all they know. And so a lot of the things we're going to be talking about in the series um, are things that we are immersed in. They're just a part of our lives. And because they're such a part of our lives, it can be even hard to not only recognize and see them, but often navigate them. And so uh, Austin talked last week about identity. Um, he talked about how in a lot of ways we've just kind of lost our story. And I'm going to, in week two, we're going to talk about identity once again. Um, identity part two, you might say. And the reason we're spending two messages up front on identity is because identity is uh, fundamental. It is foundational to everything else we're going to talk about. Uh, us rightly understanding and sort of living out of our identity is, is foundational to our Christian lives. If we don't get who we are, then everything else is going to be much more difficult. It's going to be much more confusing. It's going to be much less joyful than if we can grasp who we are, who we were made to be. Uh, the illustration I used in the first service is uh, a right understanding of identity. It's kind of like, uh, like you know, playing t-ball if you want to be a baseball player, right? If you want to be a baseball player on any level, it, it helps to have played t-ball. Now, I have three boys, which means I have coached my fair share of t-ball. How many of you have coached t-ball? How many of you have seen a t-ball game? It's a bit of a cluster, isn't it? It's like, uh, it's kind of like herding cats is what it's like. Uh, it's unbelievably adorable and cute, don't get me wrong. Like all the players dressed in their little uniforms, saying hi to mom, you know, it's, it's wonderful, but it can also make the most sort of sane, level-headed coach want to, I don't know, start drinking heavily, right? It's, uh, it's just a bit of a cluster. It's just, there's craziness going on. I've coached a lot of t-ball. I've seen everything. I've seen uh, kids that don't know how to throw a ball, that don't know how to hold a bat, 
And literally, I had one kid last year hold the bat upside down, and he was like, like he just didn't know what to do with the bat. Um, I've seen many, many, many kids, it's not unusual to have kids run the wrong direction around the bases. And no matter how many times you tell them, hey, hit the ball and run right over there. There are always several that hit the ball and just in their excitement, they run down the third baseline, right? It happens every single year in, in T-ball. I've had players, you know, lay down on the infield and eat, just play in the dirt in the middle of the game. I've had outfielders, last year we had an outfielder seriously sat in right field, laid in the grass and was just eating grass. Like, <laughs> it's not a part of the game. We had a kid several years ago that would hit the ball every time, no matter how many times you told him, hit the ball, run to first. He would hit the ball and then run, chase the ball that he just hit and dive on it <laughs> every time. Like fielders are running up to it going, I, like, I don't even know what to do with this. Like it's, like it's just, it's adorable and frustrating all at the same time. T-ball, the whole point is to, to teach you some foundational skills, right? Like <clears throat> to teach you how to, you know, how to throw a ball and how to, how to field the ball, how to, how to swing the bat the right way. And for God's sake, how to run the right direction around the bases, right? Like, and, and again, I use this illustration because some of us, we're in this game, right? We're, it, it, maybe life is like this. It's like a ball game. And some of you are going, look, I'm not trying to be in the big leagues, but I just want to be able to, you know, play the game. I want to be able to kind of know what I do, know what I'm doing. And, and some of you may feel like, man, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm kind of failing at this game called life. There's some stuff I'm just, I constantly struggle with. I, I'm immersed in. I don't know how to navigate that. And, uh, and so that's what this series is about, right? The series is about uh, you know, understanding how do, we, how do we, we live in these waters? How do we navigate these waters of life? And identity and knowing our identity is foundational to us being able, being able to do that. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1, the book of beginnings, where we see God as the creator of everything and try to answer the question just on a fundamental level, you know, who are we? Um, who have we been made to be? And where does our identity come from? So Genesis chapter 1, Beginning in verse 26, again, we see God create uh, everything, and, uh, and then he, uh, verse 26 is sort of the crown jewel of his creation, and that is, that is mankind, that is us. So it says that, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So again, we already in Genesis 1 see the plurality, see that God, uh, again, we believe in the, in the doctrine of the Trinity. That means there's one God. Um, who is revealed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not that there's many, many gods. There's one God, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to unpack the whole doctrine of the Trinity, but just know when you see God in the plural sense, uh, God in relation to himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? Um, he says, and then let them, that's man, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, both male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life. And I have given every green plant for food and, and it was good. And I mean, it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. 
And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So again, we see God literally speak creation into existence. And you might remember that after everything God creates, God stands back and looks at what he has made and he says, it is good. And it is good. It's like God creates and he's like, yes, I did a good job there. That was very, that was, that was good. But then when God creates man, God creates man and woman and he, he fashions them in his own image, God stands back and goes, now it's very good, right? God, now it's very, first time it says he is, it is very good, he creates us. And so what I want you to understand is sort of foundationally what the Bible says about our identity is that we are created, you and me, humanity is created in the image of of God. It's as if uh, God himself is sort of uh, you know, the, the pattern for our personhood, right? It, it, you and I are distinct. We are different from, from all other creation. We are different from every other creature. Right before this, it talks about the, the fish of the sea and the, the beast of the field. It talks about the livestock, right? Like, listen, um, uh, you have some people that are big, like animal rights people, right? And they're, they're like, you know, we're no different than the animals. Uh, yes, we are. Right? Genesis 1 tells us that we are different. We are unique. We are special. We have a special dignity, value, and worth in, 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 because we are made. We're the only ones made in God's image. And I don't need an email this week. Like, I love animals too, right? Like, I'm an animal lover, okay? I, listen, I, I have livestock. I love beast of the field. I prefer most of mine medium rare. But listen, we are different than, we're different than, than the animals. We just are. We are created in God's image. We're the only ones that possess the imago Dei, the image of God. It's God, God that is the pattern for our personhood, for our uniqueness. So, so fundamentally, all of mankind, every single person that's ever lived, that's ever been created, possesses this image of God. We're made in His image. We're the only ones made in His image. And fundamentally, that is who we are. Um, and, and so what I want you to understand is if that is true... That God made us, God, the Bible's going to say, breathe life into us. We are created in his image with dignity, value, and worth. Then you have to follow me on this. That means that, that God alone then is the one that gives us our identity and tells us who we are. Like we don't, we don't need to go like searching for our identity, trying to discover our identity, right? Our identity is not something we create. It's not something we make up. It's not something we, we look within ourselves to find, our identity is given to us by the one who created us and made us in his image. And I think this is part of the problem in uh, the world is that we have a lot of people that don't know who they are. They're searching, they're looking for their identity in, in the, essence of who, uh, the essence of their personhood, if you will, in all the wrong places. I mentioned that we don't have to look within ourselves because that is the place where most people feel like you find yourself. Most people feel like you discover you find your identity by looking within yourself. In fact, a recent Gallup poll uh, basically revealed that an overwhelming majority, something like 90% of Americans, believe that the best way to find yourself, discover yourself, is to look within yourself, right? So we've got everybody looking within themselves, their own passions, their own desires, kind of the, what they like. That's how a lot of people feel like you, you find yourself. And there are all kinds of problems with this all kinds of problems with this idea. I'll give you just a few of them, right? One of the big problems with looking within yourself at your own passion, your own desires, what you like, um, is that, you know, our desires are not reliable. They're just not reliable. So, I mean, 
Paul's going to talk about our, our, our desires, and because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, he's going to say that our desi- a lot of our desires are, are broken, they're fallen. He's going to call them selfish or sinful desires, right? So think about kind of the foolishness of going, I'm going to look within myself at all of my own selfish, sinful desires, and I'm going to use that as the basis for my identity. I'm going to use all of my broken, fallen sinfulness as the basis for who I am. Our desires are also, um, they're deceptive. They can change, right? Like how many of you, your primary desires at age, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, your priorities at that age, I'm going to guess they're probably a little different now that, you know, as you get older. Your desires change. The same things that were most important to you back then may not be the same things that are most important to you today. Our desires constantly change. What about competing desires, right? Anybody ever go like, I really like this, but I also really like this over here. Like we have all these different desires inside of us. They're ever changing. They're ever evolving. A lot of them are broken and sinful and messed up desires. And yet most people believe the way to discover myself is to look within myself at those said desires And use that as the basis for who I am. See how kind of silly that ends up being? Nothing stable about our desires. Nothing stable about our passions. That can't be what we base our identity on. Another big problem with this is uh, that if you base your desires, I mean, if you base your identity on your desires, if you're you're kind of looking at what you like and what's most important to you, you know, whether it's your, your political ideology, your sexuality, all of the things that, you know, the world says you find yourself then the problem is it makes relationship with anyone who, I don't know, doesn't see eye to eye with you on that stuff. It makes relationship with anyone that maybe falls in a different camp on some of those things impossible, doesn't it? It makes any kind of relationship with anyone that doesn't see life through the exact same lenses you see it absolutely impossible. Why? Well, because when someone disagrees with you then, it's not just that they had a different opinion. It's no longer that they just had a different opinion about some stuff. It's no longer that they just disagree with you. Now they've attacked who you've said you are as a person, right? Now they've attacked your personhood, and you just can't be a friend with someone that, you know, attacks you as an individual when you've declared that's who you are. Do you see how in our world this is a problem? You see why things are so divisive today? It's because we've got a lot of people looking within themselves to find their identity, And when they've identified who they think they are, anybody outside of their little circle that disagrees with that is the enemy, and they're a person to be attacked. And so it happens all the time in our world. You know, it used to be you could say, yeah, you know, we don't see eye to eye. It's no big deal. We can still be friends in the church. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. Not if that's who we've said we are. Not if that's how we've identified ourselves. Then it becomes a problem. And so there's a lot of reasons why looking within yourself to discover your identity with your own desires, your own passions, is is a problem. It's problematic. At the end of the day, for all of humanity, we have this sort of general identity, and that is that we are human beings created in the image of God. We bear His image and His likeness. We are distinct from the rest of creation. We have a special dignity, value, and worth according to God. That is, that is fundamental to every human being. Now, from there, there's another part of our identity that's not comfortable to talk about, but it's biblical to talk about, right? And that is what the Bible's going to say is from there, not only is part of our identity created in His image, it's also because of Genesis 3 and the fall and sin, part of our identity is we are children of wrath. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 is going to say. I know everyone got warm fuzzies when I said you're all children of wrath, right? Like That feels really good. Good thing the sermon's not over. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll read it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, 
Um, Let me find the right spot. Verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, everyone, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, those desires you're looking for for identity. Paul's going to say, yeah, sinful, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were, here it is, by nature, our identity, who we are, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is all of mankind, okay? We're all created in God's image. Yay! We're all children of wrath. Ugh, right? It's not a, that, that's, that's, there's no way to spin that. That's bad news. And here's the reason. We've talked about the gospel before, right? Because of sin, we're all sinners. The Bible's very clear about that. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners, and because we're sinners, a holy, righteous, just God must punish sin. That's called wrath. God pours out his wrath on sin. If God doesn't punish sin, he's not God. Sin must be punished. So we are by nature children of wrath. Now, here's the good news. God saw that. God had a plan for that. So God sends his son Jesus to a cross. Jesus comes, uh, he lives a sinless life, and ultimately he goes to a cross, and he dies on that cross. You know what's happening when he's on the cross? Is the wrath of God that was rightfully to be poured out on our sin instead is poured out on Christ. So we talk about Jesus being our substitute, Jesus being our sacrifice. That's what it's talking about. You and I deserve the wrath of God. We are children of wrath. But in Christ, God made a way for us to go from children of wrath to children of God, right? We go from children of wrath to children of God based on the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus at the cross for our sin. And so by nature, yes, our identity at first is that we're children of wrath. But again, because of Jesus, we have a way to go to be a, children, a child of God. Look at the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, But to all who did receive him, that is Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. So, so follow me on this. I know this is not popular in our, in our day and time, but we're all created in God's image. We are image bearers of a holy God, all of mankind. No matter what you believe, that's why life is precious. Life is valuable. We are pro-life because life is sacred. Life is this beautiful gift from God, and, 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 and we're all created in God's image. Now, from there, though, we're all by nature children of wrath. Until we understand, believe, and place our faith in Jesus, we go from being a child of wrath to a child of God. So what that means is not everyone is a child of God. I know we have people that would go, all of all of, uh, every person is a child of God. We're all God's children. Not according to the Bible, we're not. According to the Bible, not everyone is God's child. Like, we're all God's creation. We're all God's creatures, you might say. We're not all God's children. And again, I know that kind of, you know, doesn't sit right with some people. How dare you call me a child of wrath? I didn't call you that. The Bible called you that, right? God called you that, right? I don't write the mail. I just deliver it, as they say, right? Like, don't get mad at me. That's what the Bible says. You know, we're, we're children of wrath. Thanks be to God through the gospel. He's made a way for us to go from being a child of wrath to a child of God, okay? So the options are created in God's image. We're all there. And then we're either a child of wrath or we're a child of God. The Bible uses the, the language in Christ. 
So to, to, to speak to those that are believers, those that have placed their faith in him, those that are children of God, over 216 times, in fact, the Bible's going to say that we are in Christ. That is our new identity. Our new identity is, is in Christ. And that's really good news. And here's what I would say in the way of kind of just reminding you. If you are here today and you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know which identity I kind of hold. I don't know whether I'm a, I'm a child of wrath or a, or a child of God. Here's the good news. The invitation has been extended to you. Man, we can settle that today. Like you can go from being a child of wrath to a child of God. At the end of the service, we'll have people that would love to talk with you about that. Like you can, you can literally, your identity can change just like that by placing your faith in Christ, okay? That's really good news. Now, from here in the brief time I have left, here's what I want to talk about. I know that when, I, when we talk in a church setting, that the overwhelming majority of people in a church setting are, are probably people that get this. They're probably people that would go, I know I'm made in God's image, heard that before, and, and I believe I'm in Christ. I believe in Christ. I believe in his substitutionary death at the cross for me. So I understand that I'm probably talking to a room mostly full of people that would go, yeah, I, I got that. And yet, we still struggle with living out of our identity in Christ, don't we? We still struggle with being rooted in him and living out of that identity. I know that I do. Anybody else still struggle with that, right? Not just me. Yeah, like there's times where I'm like, look, I, I know I'm created in God's image and I believe in Jesus and yet I'm struggling with this idea that I need to live out of this identity being rooted in Christ. So briefly, I want to just mention a few reasons why I think we struggle with that as Christians in the church, okay? And so here we go. One of those is this. One of the reasons I believe we struggle with living out of our identity in Christ, and I've mentioned this before, but I think it's often that we are trying to work for our identity rather than working from our identity. You follow me? I think a lot of times in the church, we try to work for our identity. We, try to, we have this idea that we have to sort of do all the right stuff so that God will be pleased in us as his kids. And if we don't, then somehow God is like angry or mad or waiting to get us, right? Like anybody else ever live life and feel like God's up there going, oh, man, right? Dave, again, seriously, right? Anybody else have that view? Like God's just disappointed. He's just perpetually disappointed in you because you just don't do well enough, right? That's the way a lot of people view God, that he's this disappointed person up there shaking his head at us all the time. But that's not the picture that the Bible gives of God. The Bible says that once we place our faith in Jesus, we are beloved children of God. That's our identity. Like, like I've said this before, God's not in love with some future version of you where you get all your junk together. God's not waiting to love you one day when you kind of figure life out. Like God already loves you. You're already his child. And so we don't work for our identity. We work from the identity. If every day we could get up and go, I am a beloved child of God today. And then everything we do, every act of service, every act of kindness, everything we do is not for God's approval, it's from God's approval. Do you see the difference? I've said this before, that our identity has got to be rooted in relationship with Christ before responsibility to Christ. And sometimes we get that backwards. Sometimes we think, I got to do all this stuff for God, rather than going, no, wait, I'm already a beloved child. God's already forgiven me. My sins are gone. Man, that, there is so much freedom in understanding that and then being able to live out of that identity rather than trying to feel like I've got to earn, I've got to prove, I've got I've to do all the right stuff, I've got to check all the boxes, right? So that's, that's fundamentally number one. I wanted to just kind of show you this in a way of illustration. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, this will hopefully drive the point home. 
In Matthew chapter 3, we have the baptism of Jesus. Jesus uh, is baptized by his kind of crazy, weird cousin, John the Baptist, right? He was an odd dude. Anyway, verse 16 says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, follow me on this. Jesus is baptized, comes up out of the water. God audibly from heaven is like, that's my boy. I am pleased with him. And that is before Jesus, at this point in his life, has done nothing to earn God's approval. He hasn't even started his ministry. He's called no disciples. He hasn't healed a soul. He hasn't cast out a demon. He hasn't performed one single miracle at that point. He has not gone to the cross and died for the sins of all mankind. He hasn't died for the sins of anybody. Jesus, at this point in his life, hasn't done a thing yet. And God audibly says, I am well pleased in him. And then so what happens is Jesus is this great example to us of someone who lives from their identity, not for it. You see that? Again, God, God's not waiting for us to do all of this stuff for him before he loves us. He's not waiting for us to do all the stuff before he forgives us. He's not waiting for us to do all the stuff before he, you know, makes us his child. We are already his child in whom he is well pleased. So Jesus is this great pattern of, of living from your identity rather than living for it. The other reason, I'll be quick, the, the, the other reason I think that we, we struggle with living out of our identity in Christ, even though we kind of fundamentally know it, is if I can just be honest, I think um, <clears throat> maybe more so than any other time in human history, I think we are just not very good at abiding in Christ, right? We're just not very good at abiding in Christ. Over in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, Jesus is talking. And in verses uh, four and five, Jesus tells his followers, he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's basically saying, like, if you really want to be someone who, who lives this Christian life and, and bears fruit, you've got to be connected to the vine. And he's like, I'm the vine. We've got to learn to abide in Christ. And yet, I think today, again, I say more time than any other time in human history, because we are just so unbelievably distracted, are we not? There is so much going on around us. I read this week that the average adult picks up their phone more than 2,000 times a day. 2,000 times a day. We're just constantly like, you know? We're just distracted. There's all kinds of stuff going on in our lives and in our world. It's a fast-paced society, information constantly at our fingertips, and we just have no idea what it means to abide in Christ. I I mentioned this again in the first service, but, but if Jesus spent eight hours a day with his disciples, um... He probably spent more than that, quite frankly. I mean, he, he traveled with these guys. He, he stayed with them. They were always together. But, but we know that sometimes Jesus got away. He, he got away on a mountainside by himself to pray. So let's just say, I don't know, if Jesus spent at least eight hours a day with his disciples for three years, that's over 8,000 hours. And yet, if you know anything about the disciples, what you'll realize is they still struggled to understand. They struggled to believe and have faith at times. And so listen, church, 
we are kidding ourselves, we are fooling ourselves if we think that like an hour a week in a church service is going to be sufficient for us to really know and live out of our identity in Christ. I mean, it was just, it's just not possible. A few weeks ago, we did a survey. We had you uh, do a survey, those of you that were here, and we just encourage you to be honest. I think, uh, I think most of you were. But one of the things the survey revealed, which we were you know, aware of, and this is pretty par for the course in a lot of churches, is that about half, at least half, of the people that call the Vista their home church, that, that attend, uh, maybe members and others, about half, roughly, um, their involvement in the life of the church and their faith basically uh, means they come to church once a week, maybe, you know? And you, know, you, you and I both know that man, churches are really full around, I don't know, Christmas and Easter, right? So some people less than that, but that's the, that's the extent. And then we wonder why we don't live out of our identity in Christ because we're trying to do life. We're trying to be in the game, so to speak, having never played t-ball. We don't, we don't understand some foundational stuff. We're trying to sprinkle a little Christianity on our life and, and hoping that it works and it just isn't working. It doesn't work because, again, we're not understanding, we're not living out of the identity that God has given us, and we're not connected to the vine in, in any way. So again, I, I, I say these things to you, and, and just know I say this a lot, but anytime, anytime a pastor preaches a message, even if it's like a difficult message, hard to hear, just know that it's probably some stuff God's been dealing on with that pastor first, <laughs> right? Like this is all stuff, these are waters I'm swimming in just like you. And this is stuff I'm immersed in just like you. Like sometimes, I'll be honest, as your pastor, I, I struggle sometimes living out of my identity in Christ. I still struggle. What do people think of me? Like what if I don't say the right thing? What if I want everybody to like me? And like sometimes I struggle living out of, living out of the same stuff. And a re- the reason is sometimes I got to remind myself, I'm not, I'm not trying to work for my identity. I've got I've to work from it. I've got to remind myself, you know, that, there's times I'm just, maybe I'm not doing a very good job of abiding in Christ the way that I should. To a large degree, we see our role here as pastors. Um, a lot of our time and energy and effort is spent on trying to do things and equip um, God's people to be better at abiding in Christ. That's why we develop some things. We've developed something called our discipleship pathway. You've probably heard us talk about it, right? Our discipleship pathway, it's basically when someone comes to the Vista and they're like, man, first time walking through the door of a church and then they're like, how do I become a devoted follower of Jesus? Well, this is a really good, really good plan. Worship, connect, give, serve, and go. If you'll commit to those things, we think you will be well positioned to be a follower of Jesus. If you'll commit to these five things, man, you'll be placing yourself in a position to abide in Christ. And so we've just tried to resource you and equip you and say, man, here's a pattern, here's a plan. Let's get after these things, and and you'll do better at abiding if you do those things. We've also developed something called our rule of life, because sometimes we get people that go, all right, I'm trying to do those five things, but but man, just day to day and week to week, how do I abide? Like, what are some things I can do in my regular life to help me be better at abiding in Christ? And so we developed a, a rule of life, and again, I really don't like the word rule, because again, we don't want you just to check a box. This is an option. This is a plan, but if you struggle with abiding... These are some daily and weekly habits that you could begin to implement. You start doing some of these things in a tangible way. We think that it will help you learn how to, how to abide in Christ better. 
That's the whole goal. Our goal as pastors is to help resource and equip you and to try to help the body of Christ, the church, become better at abiding in Christ so that we can live out of our identity in Christ as his children. That's our hope. That's our goal. That's our prayer for you. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful today that you, first and foremost, um, you created us in your image and in your likeness. You did not have to do that. Um, and so, God, we just acknowledge today what a beautiful gift life is. Um, we acknowledge today that, that, God, the pattern for our personhood is, is, is God. And, and so, again, we just are grateful. You have created us with special dignity and value and worth. Father, I pray uh, for some that are here today that may not know whether then from there they are outside of Christ or in Christ. They don't know whether they are children of wrath or, or children of God. God, I pray that, um, God, they would understand your great sacrifice for them at the cross, that they would place their faith in your finished work, and that today might be a day, God, that, that they could move from, from being a child of wrath to their identity from here on out being a child of God. And then, God, I pray for those many that are here today, maybe most of us in the room, who know we're created in your image and we, we, we feel like, God, we know that we are your child, but truth be told, we just still struggle with living out of our identity. We're often so wrapped up in, in, in our mistakes, our past, who the world says we are, who Satan tries to convince us that we are, that we just don't live out of our identity as beloved children of a holy God. And so I pray today... God, that we would be rooted in you. I pray that we would not be people who try to work for our identity, but we'd be people that work from it. God, I pray you would help us all to just learn to abide more deeply in you. Help us to stay connected to the vine and live out of our identity. We pray these things today in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.